1: I am very, very excited about today's guest. Thank you so much for being with us. It's Dr. Bruce Perry. I'm a big fan.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate the opportunity. It's nice to be here with you. looking forward to some good conversation.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank so thank you. you for being here. And, and I mean, there's a lot to unpack, wouldn't you say?
0: There are a lot of really interesting aspects of what we're about to talk about that are relevant, not just for people that are kind of in film and stage, but for everybody, really?
1: I think that's sort of the, it's the misconception uh, that gets us. I think a lot of people sometimes will see in the zeitgeist, people are like, it's the Illuminati, it's this, it's that. When I've always found that complacency is truly the worst enemy to trying to humanize famous kids or as yeah. i've started to expand that definition as high performing children.
0: Right, exactly. And i you know i think it's interesting that that there are you know i kind of see this with with oprah, right? I mean oprah everybody sees oprah and and she has lots of aspects of privilege and lots of aspects of you know wealth and celebrity and all the good things that go with that but in some ways when you see somebody in that position you, we tend to turn them into something that they aren't, you know, we it in an odd way, we dehumanize them. We make them more special and more powerful than they really are. And I, I think it's, uh, so when they, you know, people in those positions talk about pain or talk about emotional challenges, you know, other people kind of go, Oh yeah. You know, I wish I had that much. Yeah. I, you know, I think I could handle my depression. If I had that much money, Um, Mm -hmm. I think that that's that's something that we have to overcome all the time because it, it, uh, whether it's status by position, you know, people go, oh, you're a white privileged old man doctor. And which is true. I have a lot of privileges based upon that. And in many ways, parts of my life have not been as challenging as they would have been for other people. But that doesn't mean that I still can't have, uh, struggles or pain or have impacted from a traumatic experience. And I think that that's, that's part of the dilemma of people in the public eye who have celebrity. And, and I think that if you're a child, uh, actor and you are exploited or you are minimized or you're marginalized or you're put in a situation where you really don't get any good coaching or help or support about how to manage celebrity or manage money or manage all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's uh, you're kind of more isolated because people aren't that sympathetic for, with you. I mean, which I and again, I'm only speculating, but I, I'd be curious about what your experience is with that kind of thing.
1: So you mentioned a couple really great, great right, themes lines that I would say it's one is defining whether a child feels exploited um, before, during or after um, the process of being an artist, really, because I think right. one of the things I mention in some interviews as of as of late, I'm getting asked a lot of questions because I've I've put forward my thoughts and now people are coming for me, which is OK um but yeah i think you know it's very difficult to see where the problem begins and of course we all know where it could potentially end right and as you mentioned before with the dehumanizing um that starts that starts actually before fame Hmm. Uh, so you know uh Children obviously have no concept of self. I mean, you please correct me if not even if I'm wrong, but please help me through this because sure. I only know my experience, right? I only know my privileged right. experience as well. And and so it's it privilege can sometimes be a very double edged sword when we're talking about children in particular, is I right. guess my point.
0: One of the things that we've seen with the children that we worked with that might have some relevance to to what you're talking about, is that there are times in your life when you think that the experience you're about to have is exciting and positive and good, but you're not aware of the unintended consequences of being on stage or being a child in a news story where, oh, it's great, 60 Minutes is going to do a story about what happened to me. And... So at that moment, it might feel like one thing. And then later on, when you see the way the world responds to it, and then the way the world looks at you differently, and then you find that you're having to undo and explain in ways that are almost impossible, when there's so many people out there that are forming opinions about things that are like, wait a minute, that's not why I did it, or that's not what happened, or I didn't get paid anything for that, or whatever, you know, you you get thrown into this arena where the, the experience and the consequences of the experience are really so negative that, but they were kind of unforeseen to some degree, particularly from the perspective of a child, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that again, people are not very sympathetic to that sort of thing. They're not very sympathetic to the fact that, um, Somebody in a certain situation, for example, let, let's say um, you decide to do a, a media interview when you're 12 years old and you're doing it because you were in some TV show and you may have just said something that 12 year old says. And, and then for the rest of your life that's memorialized and it becomes part of the mythology about you as a person. And you're continually having to deal with people seeing you through this distorted lens that's inaccurate. And it just, it must get exhausting. And in some cases, it must make you wanna just retreat away from the public eye and and isolate yourself because you just feel complete continually misunderstood, mischaracterized and so forth, which is a really important part for managing stress you know you know one of the things that we've read about in that book and that we've been studying for years is that when people feel like they belong when they feel like they're accepted and seen and they're one of the whatever group it is that's when you feel safe and regulated that's when you can manage anxiety and depression better that's when all of life's stressors are easier to handle but the more you are misunderstood and marginalized and made an other, the harder life becomes. And I think that one of the consequences of being a child and then having some degree of fame or exceptionality is that people other you. And it's very isolating.
1: In your book, I remember very distinctly, um, I don't remember which chapter, but I remember Oprah and you speaking about church family right right and exactly. how in in certain um in certain communities specifically black communities um there's been times when they really didn't they couldn't find their family in the community and then were able to find it within the church family time and time again
0: yeah um
1: right. what I find interesting about that and what I was triggered many times by listening to your book but in the best way <laughs> I would say that if there was some sort of a rehabilitation program or mentor program for child actors, if I could be of service too, I would say this would be required reading and listening. But one of the problems about us finding our voice in any kind of version of a community is that we were pretty much, I don't know if groomed is the appropriate term here, uh, but it's... We were told that we were competition with one another from a very early age. Mm. And so, yes. So it's almost like we eat each other.
0: You're like pitted and, against each other. Yeah.
1: Yes, very much. And it's mm. something that none of us talk about, but it is one of the reasons why we don't come together and share share our trauma and share our stories. Uh, what, what I've stumbled upon with this particular Podcast is that you know we don't have data because again, I think the overarching uh narrative is that these are privileged people who have ruined their lives through their own hands uh not truly being uh trauma informed there's no trauma informed right. care here uh right. when we're when we're employing children right i mean I think when people ask me. You know would I put my kids in the business I have to always say like I, I think that my children first need a love of the arts mm. before we like commodify that for them that's most important making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy but you know what is going to Aruba
0: Did you get a sense of building community of people that had previous experiences or or not? I mean, current you're putting together this coalition now, correct?
1: Correct. Uh yeah. I I'm actually doing this because I'm sort of fed up. I have two daughters now and it's and also I've been sober since my first pregnancy and I feel like I've seen the same story played out in varying degrees, some ending hmm. in overdoses and suicides, uh, some ending in sex work. that was certainly not something that they would have thought they would have wound up in kind of thing. Uh, many, many shades. Some are very positive stories which I I we right. can we can also talk about. I remember in our notes that was that was a point that we should definitely chat about. But my community was in adults. So mm. when I was in a theater production, my family, okay, this is where it gets really interesting. My family, I truly pathologically believed that, you know, these people that I worked with day in and day out, or I traveled with on the road were my family. And so from a very early age, I would have these relationships that would leave me while also being displaced from my, my actual family time and time again. Right. Um, Right. So, so yeah, you know, and it's interesting because they say alcoholism is a family disease. I feel like this in some ways is a family disease as well because the siblings, the husbands, or the wives that get left behind are sort of sacrificed. And yeah. um, it, it becomes a very uh, a, a chronic problem for many of the people that I've talked to.
0: Do you, you know, one of the things that would be you know you mentioned lack of data and w- which is you know it's, it's not just the issues that you're interested in all of all of the mental health community that's interested in children child development child related issues we, we we have not enough data we just there's a, so much that we don't know um but i think one of the one of the challenges is that because human beings are so complex and a lot of things contribute to the way we function, the, a couple of the things that would be really important would be to see whether or not there is a selection bias to the families that have children that end up going into acting. So, and again, you know, I, I don't know anything really about that, that community or that world, but I would think that um, you might have some thoughts about that. I mean, do, do you get some sense of that? Are there are there attributes of families that are putting their kids in and encouraging them to be really uh, active in stage and theater?
1: I think at at different times in my life and journey um, <laughs> through speaking my truth, I would have probably said things like, "Oh, absolutely." There's there's a stage parent, a stage mom that looks this way. But since right. becoming a mom, I'm realizing that, you know, our parents have, especially from reading your book, <laughs> our parents yeah. have limitations, uh, right. some of it generational trauma that they are handing right. down. Uh, and, and I do think a lot of times I will, I will definitely say this, there is a need in the parent that is being served by the child to some degree for them to allow for this to happen, right? So the parents are getting, I don't know, some sense of pride. Even if they're the best kind of stage parent, they're proud of their child. They're excited. They're gonna show up. They're gonna financially support that child to some degree before. Now the mentality I think of, am I going to recoup this investment? Is where it gets sticky, right? I think Mm -hmm. that's I think that is also part of it is when when you start making money, are you then the breadwinner? Mm -hmm. You know, are you are you expected to because I think emotionally as one of these children you fear you feel indebted to your parents at a very early age. Yeah.
0: You know, it's interesting as you were saying talking about this, Christy, it, I, we do a lot of work in sport and in sports. And there are parents in sport who live through their children's accomplishments. And there are ways in which that's done in a very toxic you know, way. They push, 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 push. And then there are ways where it's pretty healthy and they're supportive. And so I, I would suspect that it's similar, that there's a range of of ways that families manage how kids get into the theater. What, I, what you said earlier really st- struck me as such an important thing is that if you look at somebody like Tiger Woods, for example, who um, like was a child prodigy in sport hmm. and his father helped him learn how to do it and facilitated that, but he never really pushed him. It, Tiger Woods wanted to be on the golf course, practicing, 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 same with Michael Jordan, his parents didn't push him. Mm -hmm. He just had this internal drive. He loved the sport. He, he went out and did all the work. And, and so the combination of kind of a president, supportive parent with a highly motivated child can actually be a good combination, you know? Um, but, but then there's the examples of the child who has talent or, or, promise but maybe not as much interest you know they don't want to that's not the only thing they want to do Mm -hmm. but if you have a parent that then pushes them out of all the other sports and says oh you're going to do basketball only and and these kids burn out i mean we see this all the time and like kids that end up wanting to do lots of sports and they're really good swimmers but their parents want them to go to the olympics so they just push 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 By the time they're 14, 15, they might be good enough to almost make the Olympics, but they hate swimming. And I'm I'm curious, does that happen in acting as well?
1: Absolutely. It does happen um, quicker, quicker than they realize, actually. And Mm. then I think, you know, my love of this industry is only potentially there's 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 grains of it that I've held on to because I feel like I did always have an interest but that interest was like i say commodified it was sort of exploited i think right. not by you right. know not by the people i worked for not by networks that's not what i'm talking about it was more or less the the industry's way of it's what are you going to do it's an adult it's an right. adult industry it's an adult working environment it's many levels of it are very demoralizing let's just put it that yeah. way yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and like we mentioned before dehumanizing. You don't get yeah. to care about, you know, you know, say you have an audition for something that you have to cry at, but you're 8 years old. And mm. they tell you in your acting class, you have to picture something really sad happening and that'll help you get the tears out. And then you picture something sad, let's say it's oh my dog died last year, I'll remember that. And You know, you do that and it works. Say you don't get the job. Now it's like, well, I put myself through that for what? Right? Right. Mommy and daddy are not Mm. happy with me now because I know and now I'm a failure. Or Mm. say you do get the job, and now you're expected to relive that experience every single time so that you can quote unquote hit your mark.
0: So those
1: those are very those are very dehumanizing experiences. And so that's why I do think while we can look at the parents that understand the shape of industry and say, I'll be there for you when you need me, how how can they truly be there unless they themselves have gone through it and then right. like, said, okay, I'm going to put you in this now. I would say not, if we did the data research, 99% of the people I talked to wouldn't, who've been where I am would not put their kids in the business.
0: Interesting. You know, I, I, again, this, the reason I think this is so interesting for me is that there are parallel processes in, in all kinds of other systems that you're pointing out. Number one is that the, there are all kinds of things that we're expecting kids to do that we don't prepare them for. And, um, You know, we, we do adults do that a lot. You know, they kind of just have this, you know, weird expectation that a child will somehow be more capable of managing novelty or a new situation better than they do. Right. They, they have, you know, they, they don't remember how uncomfortable they felt the last time they had to change jobs. Right. You didn't know anybody. You didn't know where the coffee was. You didn't know what the rules were. And so there's a lot of anxiety around that. But most people, once you get to be an adult, you kind of get your job and then you get to and it's, and you settle into this inertia of familiarity. But we're continually putting our kids in these new things. New teacher, new class, we're moving, new house, new neighborhood, new this. And we minimize how overwhelming that can be. And I, I would think in acting, that would be just like, one play to the next play to the next play to next audition to just so much Mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. I would think it'd just be really Mm -hmm. hard to, to negotiate.
1: Well, and it's unregulated. Um, you know, I think that most things that we see most spaces that we see that are children focused have, you know, checks and balances. There's regulations to who comes in contact to children in most spaces, I would say, Uh, I think that gets complicated when when I listen to your book and I'm thinking about the at risk, you know, spaces and communities that children are put into. And that's not to say, you know, that there is I will say some folks that break into the business out of necessity because that's their only way out of a certain situation that does happen. But predominantly, these are people who, again, the data is not there. So those kind of that the demographics or whatever the analytics that's not truly known, Um, and any one of us knows only so many. One of us, you know what I'm saying, because of that isolation. Uh, And so yeah, well it's in it's in
0: the interests of the industry to keep. You know, all systems have mechanisms to maintain the status quo, and you know there's not a lot of motivation for these organizations to become trauma sensitive. Um, but I, you know, one of the, things we, I, I did have a conversation with some of your colleagues about this. And one of the things I was curious about is, do you see a path forward where, uh, acting schools or, you know, like traditional academic environments, like, you know, the NYU's film school and UCLA, USC schools, where a lot that have a lot of influence on producers and directors and and up and coming, promising actors and actresses. Do do you see this content seeping into what they're teaching people?
1: Well, I will say that Gen Z, who would be currently, you know, in high school and college now, I think that they would be more concerned about that more than ever about um, just being conscious of their 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 impact, right? And and they're, mm-hmm. they they're seemingly much more aware of what it means to have mental health you know in in their lives so but other than that hope that maybe there's there's a switch into i and i am curious about what you were saying there's not a lot of motivation for these folks to to change and and that's why i think i run the risk me and my associates run the risk of being called whistleblowers when ultimately we are just trying to Find a path forward that makes sense. Right. Um, anybody anybody who comes to me and is like, "Oh, well, I think it's fine the way it is," hmm. is it? I don't want to say they're part of the problem, but they're not helpful. Right. <laughs> right. They're not helpful.
0: Well, you know, so, I, I, and the battle to bring these concepts into any system is is pretty challenging, you know, trying to bring in education, child welfare, mental health systems that you would think would know about this. We're still hammering away trying to get them to appreciate um, some of these factors that influence not just the families and children they serve, but their staff, right? Half of the people that are educators have had trauma related stuff, and that impacts the way they interact and teach. And I would bet if you sort of went through a, a traditional set and went from you know the cameraman to the director all the way down to everybody who is on the stage half of those people are going to have things that are are from their past that have been, are currently influencing the way they handle stress and the way they interact with people and the way they manage uh their work uh, and you know it's, again in, in one of the things i think we have talked about this a lot with people that i know that are in the, your industry and almost all of the stories that you put on in this on film or all of the, the the great plays all great literature has to do with developmental trauma it all is about loss or challenges or uncontrollable stressors and then how that was managed and overcome or not and and to not And in your world to not have an awareness of that and how that's impacting how you do your craft is really unfortunate, I think. So.
1: And so if the children cannot have an awareness of that until they become of age, they need um, mentorship, right? I think mentorship is part of it. They need trauma informed mentorship because Not every child actor is at a space in their lives where they can serve as a mentor. They might be able to serve the community. They can still have a voice, but they themselves may have done things, you know, and so they may not be appropriate to be around these kids, you know, and I think, you know, ethics becomes a bit a a part of this, you know, and then and then sometimes I, I find that there's there's People are trying to politicize this argument. I'm finding uh, right. when they start talking conspiracies about Hollywood and, you know, pedophilia and and things like right. that. And it's it it may be true in a certain part of this, and I'm not sure of any of that. Like I can't right. speak to any of that. But what I can speak right. to is that there needs to be there needs to be uh, reform. You know, like there needs to be right. something done right. and and I'll tell you what too just to just to speak so that you know the 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 sort of environments that we're dealing with. we have a union screen Actors Guild, and I've actually you know been on one of their committee's advisory committee, and I'm very proud to be a part of it because I think they're doing what they can, and right. they essentially create um social time for these kids to find each other, to have community with each other. These are generally kids though that are not working consistently. So they have Mm -hmm. the time to actually go to the clubhouse and have these like essentially field trips together. And then they have social workers on staff who will talk to the parents. But the parents are the type of parents that are going in to speak with a social worker. And so they're the best kind of parent To educate, right? They're actually going to listen. We have no CPS for child actors. Mm. No one's. There's no one that's going to report. And if it's reported, there's no clear protocol. You know, to to extract those children.
0: Is there any interest on on the part of production groups or studios or you know theater groups? To try and learn a little bit more about this stuff so that they can think through what would be better policy and, and programs and practice so that not, not just the children, but you know, this issue of vulnerability and exploitation permeates the field, right? I mean, you know, the whole me too thing that, that was just about the exploitation. That's part of this whole story. Um, yeah. So I I would wonder whether or not there would would be it, you know one of the things you guys can do is make sure that as people are thinking about change that they incorporate uh you know that child acting situation that Absolutely. has to be understood and
1: you're saying that we should we should align ourselves with me too or you think it's similar I I,
0: I think I think what's happening is that there's the me too movement from what little i have been able to see basically brought forward things that were well known but were never really talked about and never addressed by the industry and i think the same thing is true of what you guys are talking about that that there are the situation with child actors is such that there's high risk for exploitation of vulnerable individuals and both intentional and unintentional consequences, sure. right? I mean, so they're they're highly easy. It's, you know, child actors in that situation are particularly easy to exploit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and even if they aren't exploited intentionally, there is something exploitive about the process.
1: Correct. Absolutely.
0: Just thinking about that and then trying to, you know, address it in a positive way, I think would be really important. And I do think that whether it's coupled to some of the conversations about how do we create a safe environment for, you know, everybody, everybody, you know, let's make sure that we talk about how do we create a safe environment for children. Um,
1: I would think that would be one of the first things we would talk
0: about. I, I agree. The- I, I know. I know. But you, it's.
1: Hear it. I'm like, what? <laughs> I've noticed. I've actually noticed that animal, animal handlers. On oh, set absolutely.
0: They, there's more law. There's more le- law and regulation about managing animals on a set than there are about kids, I bet.
1: They. They. Tr- there truly is. And. They have several handlers that bring them in crates. And while that's not their natural habitat, who engages in touching those animals, merely touching those animals, is, is administered with their guardian right there holding the animal. What, wow. what we see too often is that we have these studio teachers who are underqualified, very underqualified. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're... Like, I'm sure that they're background checked, but they're just not really the right, they're not the right person every single time, I'd say more times than not. And their qualifications are, it's just not that uh, thorough of of a thing, right? So they're able to be manipulated by production to essentially fudge numbers of Mm. school time so that the kids can be acting on set longer. Right. Right. Okay, and then... Those teachers are the only one administering education for these kids. A lot of kids end up illi- like semi-illiterate um, from, 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 you know, from sets. They, they really, truly couldn't really perform at a college level a lot mm. of times. Um, I electively chose tutors after set. So I would eat into my personal time after 10 hours of work so that I could end up oh. going to college. So, yeah, and so that was that was our choice, which might have you know been a good thing, but uh, it was expensive, you know, to, to sort of take that on. And so there's no there's no reassurance of that. And also, sorry, side note, when when the when the parent has to leave, that studio teacher is really the only guardian that they have mm-hmm. that's there for them. Mm-hmm. And now most, you know, most children's sets say, OK, the parent can be here but if we're talking every single day and that right. parent has other children or that parent you know has to go make a living that parent's not going to be able to be on set every single day so then they're in an environment where many times other people are not background checked
0: you know and again it's one of these things where you'll watch something on television or you'll see a film and you just don't think about what's behind creating that and um yeah so as you as (laughs) you got older you know as you got older and sort of what helped what helped you i mean when you found yourself sort of thinking about all this stuff and what what would you have i guess a better thing would be the better question would be like what would have been a better circumstance on the in the studio or on the set that would have led to a, dif- a better outcome for you.
1: I think that advocacy like someone who was truly there for the child and not there to play ball with the production. Right. Those were actually the best parents that I ever saw. The ones that right. were trouble parents, that one the ones that were labeled almost like like don't work with that kid even though they're great, their parents unbelievable. A lot right. of times they'd call them like, you know, oh, she's a nightmare. And it's like, is she a nightmare if she just wants the best for her child? Right. And so, a lot of times we saw it look like that, where there's no tolerance of advocacy. Advocacy is looked at as a, as a, as a hindrance, Ad- from
0: adversarial the- kind of.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Interesting. It's and then and then it's shared by the whole tribe. Essentially, it's in that yeah. that mentality of that parent being bad. Then they, then they don't even feel like they want to come on set to protect hmm. their child. Or, right. I mean, I would imagine that's traumatizing for the stage parent, you know, that right. they're just showing up for their, they can't be liked by anyone. They can't win. Right. And then the child feels pressure from their quote unquote family to tell, and I've seen this in time and time again, when I talked to people on my, on my podcast, they'll tell their parent back off. You're, you're right. ruining my shot. Like you're, you're ruining this for me. And so, right. yeah, I mean, even in the best case, advocacy is not tolerated. And so it would take some very, yeah. you know, brave it, people to.
0: Yeah, it sounds to me like they're, they're re- really uh, at multiple levels. There needs to be a a, a change in perspective.
1: Recently, I realized I think the creators of the show set the tone. I think that it comes from the top down, Um, not necessarily from the network side, because I think networks are sort of a totally different thing that when we when we try to look at accountability here, there's there's only so many people that you could actually try to pull the thread and get to. And the network has so many people coming and going. Uh, even on a presidential side, it's very hard for you to be like, oh, it's their fault, right? It's it's Nickelodeon's fault or whoever's fault. And so for me, it's just not simply useful for us to say, you know, it's ex- it's exclusively the network's fault, right? So the creator or the showrunner is the person who's created the show. And then it's, it it trickles down with how the money is spent. From them right and also it trickles down with how the tone of the show is on on camera and off camera.
0: and so are there examples of, of uh, shows or plays that that where there was a really good sensitivity to the needs of these uh, child actors and in ways that were supportive yeah. and positive that can be used as examples?
1: One of our associates is attempting to do just that with intimacy coordination. And uh, they're using, you know, case studies with children on sets that have violent scenes and that they're a part of it. Um, right. You know, for somebody who's grown up knowing everything, I find it really hard to see kids in horror movies. Mm. Um, you know, knowing that there's no infrastructure. Um Allison Stoner and I are two actresses that I've just chatted about this, you know, frequently, and she's part of my coalition now. And, you know, we had a call from someone on a, not now a non-union set. That's a mm. bigger problem. The non-union sets that are, are allowed to have children in, you know, in, in, in their care, essentially are doing things at a unprofessional level mm. Um and and the other thing, too, is that people around them are bearing witness to certain things being done to them. Um, mm. And so everyone that's on the set is sort of implicated to, to some mm. degree. And then on top of that, when that child, I remember listening to what you had to say about when the victims of of child pornography had to watch their, you know, had had known or was were notified that their tape was regenerated or that they you mm. know what i mean that yeah. that trauma gets yeah. rehashed for them yeah. and I remember thinking of that
0: it it just makes me realize how there must be so many things where you know, I I hadn't really thought about this that much until you guys reached out to us. And I mean, I, I've I've known a few people in the in the film and and actors and actresses and talked with them and about challenges. And um, but the situation of child actors is such a unique situation of vulnerability that um, makes it um, really complex.
1: Yeah, I think. If I were to break it down, honestly, I'd say it was pre-production, production, post-production. And if we look at it like that, it speaks to the language of the industry, mm-hmm. where if we really try to, you know, try to be linear in how we can tackle this at every stage, you know, then then it's going to take a long time. But like in like in terms of the non union thing, that becomes more of a legislative thing, right? right? So that's basically because they don't have enough money to pay the union to I ensure see. yes, to ensure that they're a union production. But it doesn't mean it. that 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 picture won't necessarily get- win. Yeah, won't get distribution. Right. Won't make a lot of money. You know, won't necessarily go in the um, film festival circuit. Yeah. It's just really so there's upset. no
0: there's no leverage then. Right. I mean, like they can go ahead and do that and benefit from all the benefits that you get from any film. Right.
1: Yes, absolutely. Wow. Potentially. It's a free market in that regard. Yeah. You're not you're not uh, going to make less money uh, as the producer because it's a non-union film. And mm. so it's it's inherently exploitive. You know, when you right. hear the word non-union right. But the other thing is that when you're looking to become union, a lot of productions will dangle the carrot. And in in, the, in this instance, it's actually important that we know this, that carrot was being dangled to the parent so that that child uh, who now can't sleep without the lights on and can't take a bath, you know, that 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 child can't leave that scene and that situation um, because they, the parent oh. was made to feel that they would get unionized. They would get union, you know, they would become right. union after that. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ali is here to help. Ali invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, these ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. Experience. Wow. So. Um. Crazy. I do think there's hope. I do. Look, I, t- <laughs> I think there's hope because I don't think that folks who've been through it truly want to disrupt the entire business i and and certainly we all love what we do to some degree and want to keep working but i don't think that they should be fearful you know i think i think that talking about this now is acceptable you know i think that we can come together and and we can help this next generation of kids you know that's happening right now
0: and I, I think that that's a really important thing to to highlight is that, you know, the more we learn about uh, how, where these things go wrong and how we can correct them, then there's opportunities to make positive change. That's kind of why I, I think if you can back some of these concepts into the Training and development of future producers and directors and filmmakers and stage actors get this get these ideas back into um, the film schools and theater schools. People will enter the field with an awareness of you know how these things impact people that you really need to pay attention to somebody's developmental history. you need to uh, provide uh, adequate supports. When people are put in these challenging situations and um that i think i think that's an excellent
1: idea you know we have wonderful film schools all around the country and world um that could benefit from these kinds of conversations and i would think the people that know that they want to get into this type of you know programming like you know stranger things has a bunch of kids and you know that's very cool as a film student, you're like, I want to make something like that, like Stranger Things. And sometimes it's just the love of the coming-of-age stories that you get attracted right. to as a filmmaker, or yeah. you just love anything. Like the, the it's it 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 should be a badge of honor to have gone through some sort of a training where yeah. you can say you can trust me with your kid.
0: Yeah, you there know, should be, be something should be like a, bad- a good housekeeping seal, you know that. You know, this is not just a, no, seriously, not just a union production. This is sort of a, you know, uh, we have had a certain level of exposure to these concepts and we've implemented certain uh, steps to ensure that that people are respected and cared for and it's a safe environment and blah, blah, blah.
1: Well, and when you think about it in terms of what you just mentioned, like inclusiveness, right, inclusion, we are not including representation for the children just because of their age. And so that truly is not part of the mandate that a lot of, a lot of us are trying to take on right now with the inclusiveness and diversity. And like, they're a part, they're a part of that. They're a part of that for sure. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, I love this idea and I may actually try to throw out a round table at like AFI or something that maybe Columbia and, 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 and see if I can film it. And I mean, we'd love to consider you obviously an ally of this initiative, but if if we're able to include you, would you be willing to sort of be a part of these, any conversations in the future?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, one of the things that I've been interested in and, and is teaching people in the industry a little bit more about trauma so that they can begin to incorporate these concepts into their writing. And, you know, that's the biggest way we're going to change our public. You know, human beings are storytelling creatures, and that's how we change. We don't change because we read, you know, stuff in schools. I mean, ultimately, but the fastest way to help the broader public understand concepts is to incorporate information about trauma, healing from trauma, the impact of trauma, racism, all that stuff. We change the public's understanding of these things because we tell stories about them. Not because we publish academic articles, not because we have academic conferences, it, we change people because people watch our storytellers. And so, so if our me- storytellers know this, then then if they know more about this, then they'll they'll incorporate it into what they do in a better way. So then let
1: me finish with this: with in terms of what we can do as a part of a healing community here, mm-hmm. uh, how do we present? How do we present our stories without them being sensationalized and exploited once again?
0: Well, I think it starts with kind of the things that you're already doing. You're you're already starting to have conversations with people who have been in the industry, who've grown up. There are different journeys. Uh, You're getting some ideas about what helped and what hurt. Um, and, and I would expect as you do that, you sort of, you spread, sort of throw a, a wider net, you're going to get a lot of variation in trajectories. You know, some people will go up and, oh, the, you know, I grew up in the film industry and now it's wonderful to me. You talk to Ron Howard, right? I mean, so mm-hmm. you, you got people all the way from Ron Howard to people that literally fell off a cliff and committed suicide. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so understanding those experiences, I think is really important. What little I know about, you know, I've heard a couple of times Ron Howard talk about the relational environment of support that he had when he was a kid from some of the older actors. And, you know, and I don't know how, but I, I would suspect that so much of the experience of someone is related to the those unique relationships that, that people were present to help, you know, mentor and protect and advocate like you're suggesting sort of
1: yeah like a village but a exactly. trauma-informed exactly. village okay well that's wonderful thank you so much for your time i know that you're my busy.
0: pleasure my and pleasure happy business, to
1: help it's been truly impactful um and everything that you've done has brought me here so thank you yeah. for your work and um and thank, thank you, you for your time dr bruce perry
0: Thank you, Christy. (laughs)
1: Thanks so much for checking out this episode of The Vulnerable Podcast. For clips of this episode, go ahead and check out the Podco YouTube channel. Links in the description.